Awesome. Well, good morning once again, everybody. Glad that you are all able to make it here with us this morning. And I'm excited to get to bring this last week of Hero Maker to you guys. Um, this, met, this series has been speaking to myself. Um, I know that we're speaking to you guys from the stage when we do speak, but even when we bring messages like this, I'm speaking to myself as well, and it's challenging me on how can I live this out even more? How can I be a hero maker even more in my life? So I encourage you guys to just continue to have open hearts and minds for Jesus to be speaking to you this morning as I bring this word. Um, I loved that verse that Caitlin shared uh, during the offering there in Malachi, how it kept saying, Lord of heaven's armies, after every single little thing that he was saying that he would protect like the crops from the insects and stuff and the grapes would stay on the vine until they're ripe and all of that. But it was always the Lord of heaven's armies. This is totally separate from my message. But it shows that he wants to guard and protect us. That's what that's, that's, what that's showing is that he's, he's a protective God. He wants to come around us and give that protection, not only to us, but also to the things that we need in life. So very cool. All right, here we go. So has anyone ever watched like the sports plays of the week? This is not carnal. You're allowed to say yes. I love watching sports plays of the week because some of the things some of those guys can do, like especially some of the hockey players, is like I can hardly get the puck to come off. The, like I'm not a great Canadian in this. I can't get the puck to come off the ice hardly at all if I tried to shoot a hockey puck. But some of these guys, they can flip that hockey puck up and around and just do whatever with it. It's pretty amazing. Um, and some of the things that these people can do are just plain awesome. It's amazing. Now, the thing I like to watch even more, and some of you might agree, anyone watch the sports bloopers of the week? <laughs> yeah. That's where I just, I find a lot of enjoyment in that. I don't know what it's about, but I just, I love watching those people fail in their sports. And maybe it just makes me feel better that I can't shoot a puck. But it's just, there's something about watching it happen that's like, that totally sucks, and, but it's funny at the same time. So as I was preparing for today's message, I was watching some clips of fails of sports teams. I read my Bible too, okay, that happened, but I was watching some, some fails of sports teams, and one that kept popping up was this infamous NFL fail by Jim Marshall. Now, Jim Marshall, he was an incredible athlete, and he was built like a tank. He's a football player. And at the time, he held the record for the most consecutive games played, as well as the most consecutive starts. So he was good at what he did. He was like a, a manly man, like a football player guy. He would crush me. I'm small. But uh, one of these, he was playing this game against the 49ers, and this fateful game against them, he recovered a fumbled ball. And he emerges out of a mound of football players, proceeding to run the length of the field, thinking he got a touchdown. Only to find out later that in reality, he scored a safety for the other team because he ran the wrong way down the field. This is a pro NFL player who had the most consecutive games played, most consecutive starts, and he just scored a safety for the other team. That's a big whoopsie. And... He didn't even realize it when he crossed the line. Like, he threw the ball victoriously. He was excited and happy until he looked at the scoreboard and realized what had just happened. And all of his teammates are going, dude, what are you doing, man? <laughs> no, I was also watching one of Corbin's soccer games just recently. And though it wasn't intentional, one of the kids accidentally kicked the, 
like tried to kick the ball and it went off him and into his own net. And I felt for that kid. I was like, man, that sucks. Because <laughs> all of his friends are just looking at him now and he's just like head down on the ground like, oh, it's terrible. But so often in life, we are trying so hard. We're pushing so hard to do our very best. And sometimes the score just doesn't add up the way that we're hoping it would. So why am I sharing these stories, though? It's because I think they make a great metaphor for how we're living our lives. We want to ha live a significant life. We want to succeed in life. But all too often, our efforts are heading in the wrong direction. We're trying to win, but when we stop and look at the scoreboard, it may be that we're actually losing. It's kind of like anyone play Mario Kart? Switching from, yeah, lots of you have played Mario Kart, yes. When you go the wrong way in Mario Kart, you get that little guy on the cloud that shows up with the U-turn arrow saying, turn around, you're going to lose. <laughs> Some, I need that sometimes in real life. But we're in our last week of the Hero Maker series, as Caitlin shared. And throughout this series, we've been learning from Jesus about the way to really win in life. And here's how we've explained it. Do not merely settle for trying to be a hero, but instead be, strive to be a hero maker. We've challenged each other to think like a hero maker, to see like a hero maker. We talked about blessing or commissioning like a hero maker, and also living like a hero maker. But today we're going to talk about winning like a hero maker, because all of us like to have a win once in a while, right? I do. <laughs> So let's start with why this is so important. It's important because people do not seem confident about how to win in life. Seems like the majority of people don't figure out what it takes to win in life until they're way past halftime. You know, the game of life is over, half over, and we still haven't figured out how to win the game. <clears throat> Has anyone ever played the game of life? Sorry, this is like, yeah. That's a frustrating game. You get the wrong career at the beginning, and it's over before it started. But a lot of the time, we view winning in life very similar to that game. You know, if I get the right kind of job or career that pays a certain amount of money, that's a win. That's a check on the scoreboard. Or we think, if I could just drive the right car, you know, I'm stuck with a Ford right now, and if I just had that Dodge, maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Depends who you talk to. But, or if I could... If I can just live in a certain type of house in a certain neighborhood, maybe it's an ocean view, maybe it's a view of like mountains, maybe it's a view of the backside of an apartment building. I don't know. But if I just have the right house, that's a check on my scoreboard. Or like in the game of life, maybe it's if I just find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right and I have a couple of little rights, then I'm putting points on the scoreboard of life, right? Sometimes we can think that way too. But we come up with all of these formulas, all of these strategies for winning in life. And none of these things are bad things in life. That's, that's where it gets really so confusing for us, is that they're not wrong. They're not bad things. But it's just not what it really takes to win at life. So if it's not these things, then what does it take to win? What does it take, what, what are the right score points to put on our scorecards to win at life? I think these are important questions for us to ask. You know, how do we turn around if we're moving in the wrong direction? How do we know we're going in the wrong direction to begin with? Because I don't have that guy floating with the U-turn arrow in front of me all the time. 
Thankfully, I believe Jesus gave us the answer. However, you need to know Jesus' view of winning looks very different than the world's view, and he keeps score very differently. So let's look at one place in Scripture where Jesus explains to his apprentices or his disciples what it takes to win in life. And we're going to be looking at Mark 10, verses 35 to 44, if you want to follow along. And I'm reading from the NLT version this morning. But I know this might sound bad, and this might sound like super carnal of me or something like that, but sometimes when, just like we look at bloopers and it makes us laugh, you know, because we see people failing at something, Sometimes I take to ten just take just a little bit of comfort when I see Jesus' disciples get something wrong because it just helps give me that confidence knowing that Jesus used imperfect people back then and he can still use me today. Um, but we find one example in this story found, Mark 10, 35 to 44. And the scene begins with James and John, two of Jesus' apprentices, approaching Jesus in private And it becomes clear that they have some kind of scheme or ulterior motive in mind when they approach him. They come to him and say, it says, Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Anyone have kids? Ever had that? Dad, just say yes. Just, Just whatever I, just say yes. Well, what do you want? <laughs> do you ever try and get cornered into that? Or maybe, maybe when we were younger, we tried that on our parents too. I have. <clears throat> Usually they were smarter than me though. Jesus was pretty sharp as well, and he responded with a question of his own. What do you want me to do for you? So he didn't fall for their trap. He responded with a question, put it back on them. You know, well played, Jesus, well played. You got that one good. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's Mark 10, 36 to 37 there. So in Jesus' day, sitting on the right-hand side of someone basically meant that they are second only to the ruler. It's the seat of most importance. And then the person sitting on the left was a close third. So aside from the person sitting in the middle... They're like the second and third most prominent people in everything that would relate to that kingdom. So these brothers, they were asking Jesus for places of the highest importance and privilege. They wanted to be at the top. They wanted to be right up there next to Jesus in everything. And you can only imagine how Jesus' other ten apprentices reacted when they realized what was going on. Mark continues, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, before we go on, my question is this. How did the other ten hear about it? Because, you know, the two brothers, they went off with Jesus in secret to talk to him, but the other ten still found out somehow. I mean, was it like in Survivor when you see a couple of people pair off and, and, you know, go into their own place? And so you're like, I'm following those two. (laughs) I want to know what's going on, right? You know, hiding below the window or ear pressed up against the wall, trying to get an in on what's happening. But the better question would be, why were they so mad? Why were the other 10 so mad that these two brothers asked for seats of high importance next to Jesus? Well, it's possible it might be because they didn't think to ask first, right? You got to think, look, if we looked back, actually, I'm jumping ahead. I'm not going to say that yet. I'm saving that pocket. 
As Jesus watches the scene play out in front of him, it becomes obvious that his apprentices have totally missed the boat. They've completely misunderstood the call Jesus was placing on their lives. They're still using the world scorecard that says, I have to secure as much honor, position, glory, and prestige for myself if I want to win. In essence, I need to make sure I'm the hero. I need to make sure I'm at the top of the totem pole. So Jesus sits them down to set them straight, and he goes on to explain what it looks like for his followers to win. And his scorecard looks very different. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus tells his apprentices, this is, this is what you see everything, this is what you see in everything else. You know, this is what you see in all the rest of the world, but not so with you. This is not the way to win for you. Instead, he continues, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. The prevailing thought in the world both then and now is that ruling, not serving, is the goal. You want to be the boss. You want to be the person on top. You want to be the person that has all the resources and the stuff together in your life so that you've got that top position of power. But Jesus says, if that's what you're chasing, you're running in the wrong direction. You dangle that little U-turn thing in front of you and get you to turn around. Jesus completely flips our natural understanding of what it takes to win in life. In fact, he takes the two lowest rungs of the power line and elevates them to the highest position. The servant and the slave would have been considered the societal losers of that day and age. And even today, they would be very, very, very low down the rung to be a servant or a slave in our day and age. They had no honor or prestige in the community. No one in that day aspired to be a servant or a slave. And even today, you wouldn't aspire to be a servant or a slave typically. You'd want to be working your way up the ladder. And yet Jesus says his kingdom is for those who serve others. Those who serve others are the greatest. That's what he's saying. Now, I also find this, this very fascinating that this pops up in Scripture because if we remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how Jesus had called his first disciples to follow him. Because, and that they dropped everything and followed him right away because they wanted to become rabbis, okay? In Jesus' day and age, the rabbi was the top of the ladder. The rabbi was the person all of the guys aspired to become because that was the, the societal top of the rung or of the ladder in that day and age. They all wanted to become them, and you were only chosen to become a rabbi if a rabbi chose you to be his apprentice, so that's why they dropped everything to run, thinking, I'm going to become a rabbi. It's finally happened. My day has arrived. I can stop dealing with all these fish, and I can become a rabbi. And now, three years in, oh, but if you want to be at the top, you need to become the lowest. If you want to be at the top, you need to become a servant and a slave to those around you, to the people in your life. Wow. Serving is the way to win in Jesus' way of life. His disciples, in this story, they had it all wrong. 
I think our culture has it wrong as well in our day and age. Our culture says that greatness is found in having lots of other people serving us. But Jesus flips the scorecard. He says, in his kingdom, greatness comes to those who serve other people. And that's why winning like a hero maker requires a seismic shift in how we define winning. A huge shift. Winning like a hero maker requires a shift from counting my own success to counting the success of others. I'm going to say that again. Winning like a hero maker requires a shift from me counting my own success, the things that I can do well, the things that I think are going to go on my scorecard, to counting the things that are going to go on other people's scorecards. It's a shift from a me-first perspective to an others-first perspective. It's about taking the role of a servant and elevating the people around us. So practically speaking, what does this look like? I like getting practical with things. What does it look like to flip the scorecard from a me-first to an others-first perspective? Well, I think it will look different for us, for each one of us, actually, in various aspects of our lives, But imagine with me for a moment what the shift might mean for your life, okay? And as I'm reading these, I'm imagining for myself too. But how would you use your time if you were less preoccupied with your own agenda? What would it look like for us if we used our time differently? How would you use your resources if you prioritized the needs of others both near and far? What would that look like in our lives? How would that change the way we use our resources? How would your life be different at work if you were just as focused on making your coworkers successful as you were? If they were just as successful as you, if you were pouring just as much into making sure that your coworkers were doing great as you were into yourself doing great? How would your life at home be different if you looked for opportunities to serve rather than to be served? I'm a parent, come on kids. I'm getting bad looks, sorry, too far. (laughs) How would your faith be different if you saw a church as a community where you can contribute to the mission and not just a place to get your own needs met? You know, that means that we're all pouring out together, which in turn is actually going to mean that needs are getting met too. That's a beautiful thing. But what would all our relationships look like if we were more interested in how we could serve the people God has placed in our lives rather than being served? No, what if we responded with intrinsic joy instead of insecure jealousy as we help the people around us flourish? No, when we pour into others and see them flourishing and and becoming greater than us, that's terrifying sometimes, right? When we see someone do something way better than us, it can be terrifying or we can choose to celebrate with them and see them go even farther no matter what the context or the situation when we flip the scorecard and start recognizing serving others as the way to really win it changes everything for the better however here's the truth sometimes the truth can be hard actually following jesus wisdom in this hero making lifestyle can be incredibly difficult it's not easy particularly when the world is running in a completely different direction. You know, it's like, I'm going to use Mario Kart for another metaphor here. It's when, all, when, when you're doing some of those races and the final lap is going the opposite direction as everyone else, and you're running through everyone else trying to get to the finish line, it is hard to get there. 
every voice, every commercial, everything we see on television social and social media screams that the way to win is to become the king or the king of the hill, king or the queen of the hill. You got to be on top if you want to win. That's what they're all screaming at us. So it's hard. So how can we begin to take steps in Jesus' hero-making direction? I'm going to get a couple of people to help pass these out. Maybe Ashton and Corbin and Samuel, if you guys want to pop up here and give everyone here one of these scorecards. There you go. Oh, he just took the whole, give him some. There we go. Be a hero maker, man. No. <laughs> so everyone's going to get one of these scorecards. They look like the one on the screen there. And this is just going to be a really practical way for us to rethink one area of our life. And just really simple. We're going to take a minute to do it right here where we're at. And think of something like your job, your home, your neighborhood. Maybe it's a relationship or just relationships in general. And then we're going to write down some ideas of what it would look like to flip the scorecard from me first to others first in the area or the relationship that we're, we're going to use for our exercise here. For example, I wrote down time as the thing on my card that, that I want to start rethinking. How can I rethink time for myself? What would it look like for me to shift from a me-first perspective to others-first? Well, the me-first way would be that my agenda is the most important thing to me. What's on my agenda is what really matters for me. If I switched it to the others first, I'd be thinking more of a, how can I serve you? How, how can I serve your agenda? What can I do for someone else? My schedule is also important when it's a me first thing. You know, I have things to do, I've got times to do them, and I can't interrupt that. This is my schedule. No, but if I switch it from a me first to an others first perspective, I'm going to look at, I have time in my schedule for you. I've got time for you. I'm going to make time in my schedule. I'm going to push things around so I can make sure there's time for you in my schedule. If it's a me first only with my time, I'm not going to have... There's no space for other things, right? We fill our time with the things that we need or we think we need, and there's no space for anything else. But when we switch it to an others first mentality, people are more important than the things on my list. That's the honest truth. So that's what's on my card right here. And I'm going to hang on to this for me because this is a good reminder for me it's my time. And I'll encourage you guys that even as you're sitting here, start filling those cards out. And this, this is just, it's a super practical thing. There's pens in the chairs in front of you, but it's just a really simple way for us to rethink one area. I'm only asking one area here. One area of your life that you can switch your scorecard around, flip that scoreboard and think, what does it look like to switch it? The ultimate goal is to let the other's first way of Jesus per permeate every area of our hearts and lives. We want that to, to get into every single part of what we do, ultimately, is to let the other's first, the hero-maker style that Jesus led in, get into everything that we do. To not focus on being a hero, but instead becoming a hero-maker. 
And practicing what we write down on this card is a great way to start picturing what it would look like for you to change the way you keep score. Serving others is the way of Jesus. It's how a hero maker keeps score. A hero maker shifts from counting my own success to counting the success of others around me. That's how we win. That's what the scoreboard really looks like in Jesus' world, is that it's the people around us, seeing them become victorious. That's why Jesus had disciples. It wasn't so that he could have a club follow him. He had his 12 disciples. He had the group of 70 that he sent out. He had massive crowds follow him. That wasn't the goal. He spent the time with the 12. I believe Caitlin mentioned that last week, that he spent over 75% of his time with the disciples in those three years. Why? Because he was pouring his life into them. He was replicating himself into them. He was seeing them move from becoming just fishermen and tax collectors and regular people to becoming great leaders in their time that were going to carry the mission of Jesus forward way farther than one single man Jesus could have because now we've multiplied. Now, if we were to look at some of, look at most sports teams, the captain of the team is rarely the top goal scorer or the star. When we're looking at sports teams, usually the captain, he's not like always the all-star of the team. Instead, the captain is usually the person who takes care of the tough, unglamorous tasks. In other words, the captains were rarely the ones who got all the applause. They were the ones who were willing to do all the behind-the-scenes dirty work and really work hard for the whole team. No, they were the cheerleader of the team. They're the glue that holds that team together. And while this is true of most teams that the the all-star isn't usually the captain, there is one example that actually stands out that he was the captain as well, and that was Wayne Gretzky. Everyone knows who Wayne Gretzky is if you've lived in Canada for any amount of time. But... He's arguably the greatest hockey player of all time. He is well known for putting points on the scoreboard. But here, I've got a few quotes from him that I want to share with you guys. He said, I couldn't beat people with my strength. I don't have a hard shot. I'm not the quickest skater in the league. My eyes and mind have to do most of the work. He was intentional. He was a playmaker. That's what was one of the keys to his success was he was a playmaker which means his focus was on how the whole team was doing, not just himself. This next quote sums it up. Hockey is a unique sport in the sense that you need each and every guy helping each other and pulling in the same direction to be successful. He recognized it's not about me. I'm not the only guy on this ice, because if I was, I'd be losing every time too. I got to pour into my teammates around me, so we're all pulling into the same direction. Now, he also made some other good quotes that that I take to heart sometimes. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, so we got to try. We got to try and put some kind of points on the scoreboard. And, And he also said, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. He had a future focused mentality to him. But here's some other facts about Gretzky. He was the top, well, he is the top point scorer in the NHL still technically, with 2,857 regular season points. That's not including playoffs. That's wild. 
894 goals, but 1,963 assists. While there's lots of players who have scored almost as many goals as Wayne Gretzky now, like lots of them are coming up somewhere into the 800s, lots of 700s and stuff like that, he, no one has come anywhere near his level of assists. He has over 700 more assists than the next closest player in his career. That's wild. He, he had this mentality when he played to set other people up for success. And we can learn from that as the church even. And I was, as I was preparing for this message, I came across this other quote by Bob Buford. And he said, my fruit grows on other people's trees. You know, in the church, a lot of the time, you know, church, Christian culture even, we hear a lot of talk about bearing much fruit, or we want to see people bear fruit. You know, if healthy Christians bear fruit, all of that kind of stuff. But what if we started to cross-pollinate? What if we started to invest in other people so that they could bear much fruit? So that it's not me bearing fruit, but I'm pouring into someone else, or into multiple other people even, to see them bear much fruit, and that my fruit is now hanging on their tree because I have poured my life into them. That would be amazing. That's how you become great. This is the vision Jesus had. This is the life he lived, and the movement he started was to be comprised by people who were not preoccupied with being the heroes, but instead were willing to were willingly looking for ways to become hero makers. They weren't inward focused. They weren't looking at themselves and thinking, how can I become greater? I mean, when you're reading those verses, a couple of the brothers had a little slip up there. They were looking to get to the top, but Jesus brought the correction because he loved them and he wanted to see them become the greatest they could possibly be. Jesus made it so clear. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It's Jesus' upside-down kingdom where in today's culture, it doesn't make a whole ton of sense. But I can tell you, when, I live, when, when we live this kind of thing out, it's so rewarding. When we see the people around us flourishing and we know that we've had a part in helping that happen. And, but some of you may have noticed that I actually left the last most important verse out of that section. <laughs> and the reason Jesus calls us to this hero, and it's the reason Jesus calls us to this hero-making way of life, says that for ev- even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10:45. Jesus modeled it. He laid down his life for all of us. Jesus poured into his disciples. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I haven't washed a whole lot of other people's feet. My kids when they were babies, maybe. But you know what I mean? Like Jesus embodied this hero maker lifestyle so that we can look at his life and replicate that in our own lives. So that we can take his methods of winning in life and transfer them into our lives to see other people become all they can be for his glory. Jesus didn't just instruct his apprentices to become hero makers, but he modeled it. It's just so, such an amazing thing. 
He freed us from having to chase the things of this world. Instead, we are free to follow the way of Jesus, and we can rest in knowing that it will be a winning life and a great life. So as we close this message in this series, I'd love for you to join with me in prayer. If everyone can stand up, that'd be great. If the worship team wants to come up too, that's awesome. But as we pray today, let's just, if we could have an open posture, just put your hands out like you're ready to receive something. And while this doesn't really do a whole ton of anything like physically for you, it's just us using our bodies to show Jesus that we're open. We're open to what he wants to do in our lives. And I just want to pray for us today that we would be willing and open to trying a different way of winning, to living a hero maker life where we want to pour into the people around us. So let's just join together in prayer as, as we do this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you that this room is full of people who want to become hero makers, who want to live a life like you live, Jesus, pouring out into the people around us, seeing them become fruitful and to have great success in life, Jesus, but also that this would be a way to multiply and expand your kingdom, Jesus. So God, I pray that as we, as we step out in faith, as we step out in courage to become hero makers, Jesus, that your spirit would come upon us, that you would help enable us and empower us to be hero makers every day of our lives, that we would continue to see others around us become successful and ultimately become hero makers themselves, Jesus, that this would have a ripple effect. So Lord, we just bless you. We thank you, Jesus, that this is the way that you chose to live life and this is the way that we can live life and win. So bless your people in your name. Amen.